welcome back to the Inking Out Loud podcast. Today, on episode 54, we're covering Solo Command by Aaron Alston, the third Wraith Squadron book in the old Star Wars Expanded Universe. I'm your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my special guest, Lauren McCaffrey. How's it going, Lauren? Pretty good. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, yeah. Doing these Star Wars books has been a lot of fun. As usual with the Star Wars books, uh, it's just the two of us. Uh, Rob is doing his own thing up in Canada and being too cool for Star Wars, so... uh, Is that what he said? No, it's not. I'm just making fun of him. (laughs) Or or we're just nerdier. Or you are. I'm going to blame you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so uh, with Solo Command, uh, we pick up pretty much directly after the events of Iron Fist... Where, um, uh, at the end of Iron Fist, Han Solo's task force hunting down Warlord Zinj, uh, trapped him and destroyed the new Super Star Destroyer. Wow, our cat is, uh, is really having a blast over there. Um, yeah, uh, destroyed the new Super Star Destroyer that Zinj stole from Kuat. And, uh, yeah, and so the Wraiths are officially... Uh, joining up with the rogues and the rest of Han Solo's task force instead of going undercover like they did in the previous two books. They're going to be on Mon Ramonda and part of a you know, a concentrated task force. But that doesn't mean they don't get to do some fun stealth missions and, and commando things. They infiltrate uh, the Binring Biomedical Institute to discover information about... Warlord Zinj's uh, covert activities and and his brainwashing techniques. <laughs> and our cat is really <laughs> hell bent on uh, interrupting the podcast today. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, and so they they capture uh, Doctor Etta Gast while they're there. <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, they, they capture Dr. Etta Gast while they're there, and uh, they, over the course of the book, extract information and help shut down Zinj's sort of brainwashing program. Um, meanwhile, Lara Notzel slash Gera Petithel is still undercover with the Wraiths. She is uh, determined to be... Lara Notzel instead of Gara Petafel, she's determined to be a loyal wraith, but the truth comes out uh, inadvertently in the middle of a mission, and she has to flee. So she goes undercover once again as a double agent, goes back to Warlord Zinj, and works to undermine him from the inside. And uh, kind of throughout a series of circumstances, sets up Zinj for a trap at the end of the book in the, the climactic battle. And uh, while Zinj loses the battle pretty handily, he does pull a fast one and fake the destruction of the Iron Fist, but actually uh, the Iron Fist gets away. And uh, after that, in, in the aftermath, Wraith Squadron is given their kind of official operational commission, but they are decommissioned as a Starfighter Squadron and recommissioned as an Intelligence Commando unit. So that's kind of where we ended with this book. Uh, Lauren, tell me, what did you think? I really like this book. And the first time when you read it to me, <laughs> there were some very dramatic moments. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, of the three Wraith books that we've covered now, this is easily the best of the three. I think the uh, the writing, plotting, and character development are all... Uh, just on a new level. Yeah. Um, while Wraith Squadron had a pretty strong character arc in it, I thought Iron Fist was a little more scattered, uh, a little less focused on character. That's fair. And this one, it really felt like Alston narrowed things back in. And while we do have a variety of points of view, the main focus in this book is on Lara Notzel and Mindonos. And their respective uh, relationships with themselves and with each other and ultimately finding their their peace. 
Yeah, yeah, and that's, I mean, that's where the most drama was. If you remember at one point I told you if you stopped reading, I was going to stop talking to you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think that was like when Lara was revealed. Mm-hmm. When, that when Face the... accidentally broadcasted over the wideband. Yeah, there were a couple spots where I was like, I don't even know how to feel. <laughs> it was just a lot. Well, I, let's start with Lara, because I think she is the the most major character in this book. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. Okay. Definitely. I have a couple bookmarks for her parts. Um... Yeah, I mean, she, she has such a compelling uh, character progression in this, where she, she has this just total mess of an internal landscape and this identity crisis... And uh, and ultimately finds, I think, a really uh, heartfelt and touching solution to it where she goes back to this Kearney slain identity that... Uh, that know, hurt. Yeah, where she, she felt like she had to leave both Gera and Lara in the past and become Kearney slain, the fake identity she was given to train with in imperial intelligence way back in the day and then told to abandon it entirely after that and that i thought was a really symbolic gesture on her part you know it's that final abandonment of the imperial intelligence brainwashing that was done on her i just thought it was so painful when she had to run from the race and she went to the Hawkbat base and just like was a crumpled mess. It's like I I have no identity anymore. I might as well be Kearney. She's nothing. Mm-hmm. And then she has a moment on um, Iron Fist where she tells Ton and her R two unit, she's like, "Don't don't call me Gera. Call me Kearney. Like yeah. I don't deserve any of the names that I've had." I don't know if it was so much I don't deserve the names as. Those just aren't me. Yeah, Yeah, okay. Um, And and she says she will be Gera, and she will be Lara for the benefit of those who don't understand her. But to Tannen, she says, when it's just like this, when it's in private with the two of us, call me Kearney. And, And of course, then we see at the end of the book, she reaches out to Mindonos as Kearney slain. Okay, so comment on that, because I didn't... I think I was too excited about things and I totally missed the spot at the end of the message where she's like, oh, and you definitely have to meet my co-pilot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not catch. Not catch. What yeah. is his name? Colot, uh, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who is a... Um, uh, Biogenetically engineered Ewok. Yeah, yeah. And he's yeah. A, <laughs> he can fly because mm-hmm. he's got like... Limb extensions. I loved that. Yeah. Where the, so that was, you know, this is kind of emblematic of Austin's talent as a writer, where he can take a scene that is funny, where it's been this running gag for three books now about Lieutenant Ketch, this fake Ewok who, you know, takes on a life of its own in Iron Fist when, you know, when Caston messes with the voice the voiceovers, and so Wedge has to act like, you know, he has to wear the stuffed animal of Catch, and Jansen's been having the stuffed animal wander around the base and, and play pranks and all of this. And then here at the end, we take what is a humorous situation and we turn it into an important character moment when she says, you know, when Colot is telling her that he can fly and how he has the, the prosthetics, the limb extensions, and how the scientists put him through simulators to see if he could fly and she just screams at him to stop and he doesn't understand and she says you know you don't understand now but you will at some point the thing is we're the same you and i we're both lies that became the truth and and how he can take a running gag over three books and turn it into one of the most pivotal character moments in the whole series is just incredible writing. And honestly, so I'm looking through my bookmarks. They're all moments with her. 
<laughs> every bookmark is not not every single one okay. i missed one though so i love the first moment with min being forward with her and flirting with her like the lines that he uses are great so i wanted to bring this up with you when when I read that for the first time, you know, I, I thought it was an entertaining scene and everything. But this last time I read it, I was a little unsettled by it because there was um, there was a pretty clear unwillingness on Lara's part in that scene. She she says no over and over again, and then he kisses her anyway. And then she has this sort of, you know, like reluctant acceptance of the kiss and then he makes a smart remark and she shoves him away and shoves him into the wing of the interceptor and stalks away and tells him to leave her alone no she has a moment in the conversation where she's like i don't deserve this like i don't i don't deserve to be happy and you would hate me if you really knew me yes but but she acknowledges that she would want that if it were possible but it is reluctant but she she does say it i don't think that she's at that stage i think it's a later when he's talking to her in the lounge on mon ramonda that she accepts her interest in well, him he, she also kisses him back yeah and that's why i was saying she she has this reluctant acceptance of the kiss where he says when he goes in for it she's stiff and tense and like isn't receptive and then he just keeps going with it and then she like chills out with the kiss and then he pulls away and makes the the smart remark he says you know that's more well, like she, it or whatever and she grabs him back for a second too and but then she shoves him away and says leave well, me he, alone he makes you know? a nasty remark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. he um, makes a cocky remark that's yeah. what it is yeah he says that's more like it yeah because that's i mean and that's a tacit um uh recognition of the fact that she was not saying yes that was a very james bondy moment where it's like uh you keep going until the no turns into a yes kind of a thing yeah and that unsettled me a little bit it is uncomfortable so while min is one of the main characters in this book and on the whole i like min uh i can't fully get behind him there and I, I will say I will add on. I think they both um, figure out some internal problems with themselves, and the relationship they have towards the end of the book is in a much healthier place. Yeah, uh, you know, between the message that she leaves, you know, the the undercover message with the the laser transmission, um, and and kind of her explanation of. Her mental state and thought process, uh, I thought, showed a lot of growth for her. And Min had to show a lot of growth um, after he tried to kill her and then had to really settle his own issues. Oh, his own. Wedge comes yeah. right at him. Yeah. And and I love that scene, too. I just forgot to bookmark it. With the boot? Well, not just the boot, but Wedge is like... Unacceptable. Mm-hmm. Unacceptable. Yeah, and this is another example of Austin's style, where he can take a moment of levity, this this boot situation where Wedge takes his boot off, and it's this absurd moment, couched in a completely fraught conversation, where this is a, a major, major character moment for Mindonos, and for his recovery, his emotional reconstruction well, he's, after everything he's gone through. He's finally confronted with it. They've been tiptoeing around his mess of a head mm-hmm. and finally he's like clearly you cannot function in our squadron until you fix your stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and, and, so... and you can decide right now what you would like to do. I, you know... And then he has a good moment with, um, with, with Wes, yeah. where Wes is like, look, you're dead, I'm alive. You want to see the difference? Watch me jump on my bed. Have you ever done this? Have you ever looked stupid? No. 
You haven't. You can't be dignified when you're having fun. Yeah. Yeah, and so that, again, that you can't be dignified when you're having fun, that quote comes around again. This is this is such a, a recurring, uh, almost a trope, but it's a it's a kind of an author specific trope, especially in the expanded universe where uh, Austin takes these powerful character moments and spices them up with humor. So you don't have an unrelenting sort of emotional assault on you the way you might in, you know, if another author told this story. It, it provides these moments of brightness in what is otherwise a pretty dark story. Without ruining it. Yeah, yeah, and it doesn't take away from the emotional impact. Yeah, it, yeah. it just flavors it. It it would be a problem if they had this moment of levity and all the characters are still like, "No, I'm in this dark place." Like, just because you're laughing doesn't take away the dark place. But they do have like, they mm-hmm. have. I don't. The emotions are communicated. Like, there's. You're right. There's levity yeah. there. It, it's it shows I think a good understanding of what. You know, the the human side, and, and I say human in relation to us as readers, because obviously many of the characters in this book are non-humans, but they more or less experience human emotions. And, and it shows the human side of warfare, and in Star Wars especially, uh, war is romanticized so much. Yeah. And this book... Uh, the Wraith books as a whole, but this book especially, really interrogates the the emotional and mental toll of war and death and loss. And, and we see genuine character development come out of that, which I appreciate. And that's not something that you get in a lot of other Star Wars books. I know there's been a little more of an effort made in some of the recent ones, especially Alphabet Squadron, which I know must have been partially inspired by some of the themes and ideas in Wraith Squadron. Um, but it, it's just really... It it takes the book to another level, having these, these character arcs. I do find it interesting that they never name, like, Donos' PTSD. They so... don't name it as PTSD... So yeah, there there is no name. They just say like, "Oh, the medics are gonna check you out, and when you're cleared, you're you're cleared." But like, deal with your your head, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember growing up, you know, when you have to read those Civil War books or Revolutionary War books, they call it like Soldier's Heart, shell shock, stuff like that. Yeah, well, I mean, the first instance for me, it was Soldier's Heart. Hmm. And and so it was kind of... I've never heard that term before. Yeah. And they don't really explain it because they don't want you to understand because they know their audience is young. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I guess I kind of see an element of that in here. Maybe just compared to what we have been reading where it's very much like, <laughs> you have PTSD. Yeah. These are your symptoms. Like, <laughs> you've been through a number of battles and they left their marks on you. Yeah, and this is something, you know, we'll explore a lot more a few months from now when we get into The Black Company, uh, which which is another series that strives to genuinely portray the soldier's experience, the the grunt, the frontline soldier, and and how war can affect you. Um, Can I just say the line from it? Which? Soldiers live. And wonder why. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> it's darker. Darker than this, for sure. Yeah. Um, but but it is a similar thing, you know, to, again, draw that parallel, where Glenn Cook has the style of dealing with these dark human experiences in war and leavens it with humor. Well, he has real so, experience. Yes. And I don't know if Aaron Alston was in the military. I... Oh, I, yeah, I should say that. I I just, I haven't looked up much about, you know, his his past life, you know, before. He, he passed away just a few years ago, so, but, um, but yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, based on what he wrote in the Wraith books, 
if he did have some uh, experience in the military. I mean, but also his audience isn't the same as black companies Mm-mm. or Glenn Cook's audience. His his target audience is older, I think. At, le- at least older. You think Cook's target audience is older? Yeah. Okay. I yeah. think I think uh, he I think was fair. he was thinking about his fellow soldiers, mm-hmm. or yeah. And there is a, a definite, um, especially when these you know X Wing books were coming out in like the nineties and stuff. There was definitely a conscious decision to market those books to like teenage boys. Yeah. Yeah. Different. Different audience, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Okay, so first scene though I just realized. So when Faith starts to figure out um, who Lara is, okay, they're in a museum, mm-hmm. right? And that guy, the old guy, recognizes her and is like, "I know you, I know you," but he doesn't say Kearney Slane. He says another name. He says Adalia Monathir. Yeah, because he that thinks... was his mother, her mother. Yeah, that was her mother. Oh right, right. Okay, but there's another, there's another man. In the museum, Vin Narcassen. Who? Vin Narcassen, yeah. That's Shallow's father. It is? Yeah. Okay, so that's why Face is like, oh no, it's actually, it's Min. Min is like, I... I gotta tell Shallow to come check this out later today. Yeah. Well, he says, I recognize them, and I can't quite figure out why. So, well, it, he goes back the second time, and he recognizes the smile and the dimples. And that's when it clicks for him because Shala has the same dimples and the same smile. And then as they're as he's walking away, he thinks to himself, "I gotta tell Shala she needs to check this out before we deploy." <laughs> and he's still alive, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He went yeah. into hiding. Uh, you know, he he sort of saw what was happening with the advent of the Empire, and he went into hiding and raised his daughters according to, to the old Republic intelligence ways. To be... Total badasses. I wasn't going to say badasses. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. 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 Wow. So. Um, do you have anything more to talk about Shala? Or, or sorry, uh, Lara. <laughs> um, let me check my last bookmark. Oh, I guess I just had that moment where Lara's like... She's, like, reflecting on how she's alone. A secret enemy of those whom, who now employed her. A public enemy of those whom she desperately wanted to return. Mm-hmm. That was a feel moment for me. It was so sad. Yeah. It just... And she had it rough in this book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and Face outing her in the middle of a battle? Well, after the battle, but... That was an extremely inappropriate time. And I know he didn't mean to and he slipped up and like had it on the wrong comm channel. But I was very upset. <laughs> well, it, it is a... I mean, it's a brutal moment. It's probably the... In a lot of ways, the emotional climax of the book. I mean, then it sets Min off with his PTSD and he just starts trying to kill her mm-hmm. and almost kills face and almost kills face oh mm. yeah yeah that was the emotional climax for sure yeah so like i i think i cut face a little more slack than you seem to because it was an honest mistake and i don't i know it was but i'm still mad at him like it it, it has a tie back right so Face and Wedge have a few of these scenes, mostly in Iron Fist and then in, in Solo Command here, where Wedge talks to Face and sort of coaches him in leadership. I love that. And and one of the first lessons Wedge teaches Face is that he has to trust his gut. That if he's going to be an effective leader, he needs to be able to trust his own instincts and follow those in high-pressure situations. And in this situation, this was one where face trusted his gut in the moment and said, you know, I could not let it wait. Yeah. In retrospect, he says, yeah, I probably could have, but I had to go with my gut and wedge says, you know, okay. Like I, I accept that reasoning. And 
and it's just another step in Face's own character arc uh, developing into the captain of Wraith Squadron by the end of this book. I mean, he also, there's some reference to um, his nemesis here, too. Yeah, Tetran Cowell. <laughs> so I I have to ask you, did you suspect at all that it was not Baron Sunterfell or yes. the 181st? Okay. Yes, I had no idea who he would be, but it was really weird that he wouldn't even hint at Wedge's sister. Well, because nobody knows it. I know. That's yeah. why it was... Yeah. Just... Oh, so that was the clue for you. Yeah, it just doesn't okay. fit. Like, why would he not even mention mm-hmm. his wife? Like, not even a slight... When he's specifically flying against Wedge. Yeah, and trying to distract Wedge. Yeah. But he has no idea why it works. Mm-hmm. Other than he thinks that, oh, well, this guy betrayed you, so that's why you're after him. Yeah. Um, Which is a mystery that we don't get solved again. <laughs> Just drag that carrot. Uh, yeah. <laughs> You'll have to go much further into the expanded universe to get answers Great. there. <laughs> Great. Uh, although I do think when when you eventually get there, you'll be satisfied with those answers. But but on, on the subject of Wedge and, and Baron Fell, for me, when I first read these books, uh, I was also kind of tipped off to it. But it wasn't because of that reasoning. It was that every time there was an opportunity for one of our characters to meet Baron Fell in person, you know, like when Face and Dia and are Kel go to Ironfest and they ask about, you know, oh, Baron Sunterfell, is he here? And, and Zinj kind of has this like blustery, he's like, oh, uh, no, he, he has duties elsewhere. And then in this one, when Lara is flying simulators against him and and she you know like asks him if she wants to or if he wants to like go get dinner or whatever and he's like no i i have more simulators to fly like i can't do that and so there's always an excuse for why the characters never see him until the end here when wedge shoots him down yeah yeah i guess i should have seen that hint too yeah but uh i did like that twist though i thought it was fun and i thought it was a good way to tie back to face you know at his background um you know and how <laughs> ton fanon was gonna leave all that money for tetran cowell instead <laughs> of face if face didn't agree to get the scar removed and sort of symbolically forgive himself yes you know and and uh the whole the account doesn't need balancing. You can't reduce sapient lives to numbers like that, which is uh, a great line from Tom Um But yeah, it's it's really deftly done. The way we have pretty distinct uh, character arcs across several characters, but Alston finds ways to interweave ancillary elements of all of those together, so that it makes sense. <laughs> to be telling this cohesive story in one squadron. Yeah. Isn't isn't there also a moment where um oh, I just lost it. Where face uh, he has like an actor moment. He's and and Wedge tells him I I figured you could recognize one of your own. Oh, that vaguely rings a bell. Hmm. I don't remember the context of it, but that does ring a bell. Boom. Foreshadowing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was... It, no, that's right. It was... He has face um, as one of like the consultants when they're listening to Lara's recording and analyzing it and trying to figure out, like, yes, can we trust That's this? when the line is. And he has face in there because he's an actor and he can you know, yeah. sort of judge the recording based on vocal stresses and, and what he knows about Lara as an intelligence agent and an actress. And yeah. Yep. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's where it is. Okay. Also, he notices a cue of Lara's when they yes. have a dance mm-hmm. 
and she does this corson- like, charm corson- signing. Yeah, charm signing where she she does like some sort of flick with her hand. She twirls her she finger. Twirls it, yeah. yeah. And it's a sign that you can give me a kiss now. Mm-hmm. And he's dancing with Dia, and he's like, "No, she's into it. She just did the sign." Mm-hmm. And Dia's like, "What? <laughs> what? What sign?" She's like, "Oh, I thought she was just." describing something he said oh i'm sure she was she seamlessly wove it into the conversation the way you're supposed to yeah and and then he starts saying what it is and then he stops and he's like wait well how would she know coruscant charm signing and then he kind of thinks he's like well maybe it's something admiral tridget might have you know that's a good brainwashed her into And, and he also notes at uh when when donos tries to hit on lara earlier in the book and Lara shoots him down and she stalks away and Face notices that she has the walk of a native throne worlder. When she forgets, she does it. Yeah, and so he's like, you know, it would make sense that maybe Admiral Trigit would be offended by the rangy stride of a farm girl, so he taught her how to walk like a Coruscant native. You know, Mm. but there were so many of these adding up that eventually Face started putting the puzzle pieces together. Okay, I found the scene, by the way, where they're flirting. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, before the bin ring raid yes he goes there's something I wanted you to think about <laughs> yeah me <laughs> what's that <laughs> me <laughs> she looks at him raises an eyebrow and goes rebel pilots have the biggest egos in all the known universe <laughs> he goes well it's not like that I'm asking out of a sense of fairness since I'm spending all this time thinking about you and she goes, I'm not amused. Yeah. Fair enough. He says, good. I'm not trying to amuse you. Look, I just spent a long time working up the nerve to bring this up with you at all. It was harder than most anything I've done. So don't be amused. Take it seriously. I like that. So there's also a parallel in the scene that... Uh, I'm surprised you didn't bring up uh, oh. that ties back to Kel and Tyria in Wraith Squadron when Kel works up the nerve to oh, tell that. Tyria about that. his interest and she shoots him down and she's like, you're not interested in me. You're interested in your mental image of me. Well, I think we and talked about that in that book, didn't we? We, we did. Okay. But you didn't bring it up with this scene where there's no. a clear parallel where Min is saying, I'm interested in you. I want to get to know the real you. And she's like, no, you don't. Well, she says, <laughs> I'm not right for you, is her next line. Yeah. Well, so he says... And, and, and then he says, oh, that's a very good sign. She goes, what is? Her... He said, you didn't say, go away. I don't like you. So, it's... Yeah, I, I know, Lauren. <laughs> uh, there's a later scene when they are... Uh, when he's talking to her in the lounge... And he says, I want to get to know you. I want to get to know the real you. And she has this hard-edged laugh and she goes, oh, no, you don't. And he's like, why? Tell me why. And and she says, you know, there, I could say nine words to you right now. And the very best that would happen is that you would never want to talk to me again. Yes. And Min recognizes the truth in her words and says, well, don't don't say those words then. And then he talks to her, and that's where I think the relationship starts getting healthier because he brings up the fact, he said, you know, I don't know you. Does anybody know you? And she and she kind of has to think about it, and she says no. And he says, do you know you? And she says, least of all me. Yeah. And so it's it's this sort of mutual understanding where they're both broken people. And while there may be an unhealthy attraction in that sense where... It's like broken attracted to broken because they're both broken, you know? Not to but, fix it. But it it uh, it sets both of them ultimately down a path where they can fix themselves, you know? Where it's not Mindonos trying to fix Lara and turn her into his ideal of what Lara Notzel should be. Yeah. It was Mindonos recognizing she's in pain and wanting her to heal in a genuine way yes you know yes and then he realizes he needs to and that's the scene when she agrees okay let's get to know each other okay let's try this yeah so 
Yeah, yeah. Um, are there any other characters you want to talk about? Okay, so you didn't mention the assassins at all. The the zinge brainwashing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So, Piggy stops one of the assassins early in the book and gets shot in the stomach. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so he spends some time in the back to tank. <laughs> And then when he's finally ready to come back and join everybody, uh, they have a party for him. And Shala, Shala and Kel work up an, an instruction manual for him. And it is called How to Dodge. Yeah. <laughs> and I love how that scene ends where, where Piggy is just sort of taking all of this lighthearted, good-natured abuse and just smiles faintly and thinks to himself... It's good to be back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> well, he says it was good to be home. Yeah, home. Yeah. that's And I think that's a, a really touching <laughs> word choice there because Piggy is such an outcast. He is unique and he spent his whole career and his whole life being ostracized. And here he has somewhere that he can call home. That and I love, I told you earlier, I love the scene at the end in the final battle where he's just doing math in his head and he's like, yep, fighter pilot, coming up this way. Uh, yeah. Shallow, that's you. Like, And then and he has this comment in his, in his head to himself. And he's like, I love math. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, that's sweet. You know, especially since he had a moment, you know, earlier where he's like, I am forever alone. Yeah. I can't be oh. with another member of my species. And I, I, you know, I won't have a mate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that was a powerful moment too. Oh, and then we find out there is one like him, two like him. Yes, the other Gamorians. Yep. Although they, one's a as he as he points out, though, uh, were they to uh, procreate, their offspring would not be the same. Their offspring would be a normal yeah. Gamorian, and it would be heartbreaking to him. Yeah. And then somebody has a a really good thought for him where they're like, no, like you... Your legacy can still endure just because you don't have the opportunity to have biological offspring just like yourself doesn't mean that you can't be an example and a leader and a teacher and a role model for other people and for young people. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Okay, also LSR. Makes me laugh. Oh. <laughs> we have a Deveronian, finally, in this book. Uh-huh. And, and he... He's so obnoxious. <laughs> he's really superstitious, and it, it makes me laugh. Isn't, isn't there one point where he's, like, before a battle, he's going around the, the X-Wings? He's, he's stuffing, like, <laughs> little bread figurines into nooks and crannies on it. <laughs> it's because um, Runt sneezed. Well, and so in the mission briefing, right as they were asking if there was anything wrong with the plan, and he was like, "Oh, that means there's something wrong." Yeah, and did you note that is the mission that Lara is outed? Yeah, that there was a flaw in the mission plan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really like that. So, but I, I find it hilarious that he's <laughs> trying to counteract it with whatever mm-hmm. voodoo mm-hmm. he's doing. He's yeah. got some good lines. He's so of the sort of tertiary wraiths that we get across these three books, he's probably my favorite. Uh like when I consider characters like Jesmin or Castan Don. Castan. Or, you know, Fallon or Grinder, characters who didn't get a whole lot of page time. And and LSR is another one of those where they don't have like a a fully developed character arc. They they don't get a bunch of points of view or anything. But LSR is the most entertaining of those. I love Fallon. And I really loved Grinder. I did not love Grinder. I thought Grinder was obnoxious. Fallon was okay. I I, I thought she was an interesting character and I Oh and uh... feel like if she had been given more time, if she hadn't died and and you know had stuck around, we could have seen a really interesting character arc for her. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm also not super upset that she died when she did. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's fair. So, uh, yeah. So any other characters you want to 
touch on. Oh, we meet Admiral Rogris for the first time. Or I did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I liked him. Yeah, I, I like him too. He's um, honorable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. It, one of the things I like about that side of you know the, the Imperial collaboration storyline in this is that uh, it it gives a little more of a human face to the Empire. I've always been a little annoyed at how monolithic the Empire is portrayed in the major Star Wars media, where if you serve the Empire, you are evil. You're brainwashed and, or you're evil, right? Yeah, and and so there was a little bit of pushback, especially in the late 90s and into the 2000s in the Expanded Universe, where we started getting a little more humanization of Imperials and seeing how and why some people chose to serve in the Empire, and then how they grappled with the knowledge of the really evil things. You know, and uh, there's a, a book that hopefully at some point we'll cover on the podcast called Allegiance by Timothy Zahn that I think is one of the best of this. It, it, one of the main characters is a stormtrooper. Well, what about Han? Do we get any exploration into his? Uh, I mean, there's the Han Solo trilogy that, that goes into it a bit. Um, Where does that start? Before the original Star Wars movie. So is, is he with the Corellian forces or is he a stormtrooper? Um, it, it's it's with him on Corellia. Um, like his uh, starts with his childhood. What? But, uh, but yeah. And so with with Rogris here, though, we see how the universe, the stars universe, is more complicated than just a black and white New Republic good, Imperials bad. Like that. As in all things in life, it's more complicated. And we see, you know, these factions popping up. And we see, over the course of the X-Wing books, you know, we see members of the New Republic who are not as wholesome as our main characters. Yeah, so I felt the same way about Zinj in this book. I feel like he's better developed. And I get to see all the machinations behind his empire. And I can have a little respect for him. He isn't just, you know, stupid supervillain who just is evil because he's evil. And he just is, you know, he's really easy to defeat because mm-hmm. the author needs him to be defeated. No, he has all these intricate plans and he puts on this persona yeah, because he, it helps he with... He presents himself as like a comic book caricature of a villain but when we see that mask slip away he is a much more real human being and yes he is morally corrupt and and selfish and egotistic and all of this but he is not the one-dimensional cartoon character that he's presented as yeah i like that i like that a lot i i thought he was a good character. And similarly with Melvar, they, they have they adopt personas Melvar for, for public consumption, so to speak. Melvar, I feel like we don't get enough of like not yeah. the way we get Zinge. Well, I mean Melvar's not the main villain. Yeah. He's a he's a henchman. Yeah. You know. So. But it's I would like him to be better developed, you know, if if we had a ton more time and it weren't like a 300-page book. (laughs) Yeah, because these are short books. Yeah. Uh, But speaking of them being short books, we want to keep this episode a little short, too. So unless there are any, like, pressing character things you want to talk about, I think we should move into our three favorite scenes in this book. Oh, man, I never think of these in time. Okay, go. You go. Uh, Okay, so... Uh, my three favorite scenes in Solo Command. I love, 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 love the uh, the raid on Binring Biomedical, but specifically the scene when they get dumped into the incinerator and they oh. break out. And there's one line that every time I read it just hits so hard when they're all burned and injured and 
face is basically seeing red. And he says, you know, Wraiths, no mercy, no quarter. Like, like it, it is one of the most ruthless uh, mentalities we ever see adopted by one of the good guys. And it's another one of these situations that explores the the psychotic landscape of war and how this horrible thing has just happened to them. And of course they're going to react in such an extreme way. <laughs> so that, that moment was always just a, a gut punch to me. Uh, just seeing face go over that line and, and then looking around and, and seeing the faces of his squadron mates and knowing that they would not have accepted any other order. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So every time I think of that scene, I see the part where they're all out except for Runt. And they're all thinking, oh no. Yeah, where's Runt? Where's Runt? We lost him. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we lost him. And also, I love Runt. You know I love Runt. I think he's my favorite. (laughs) And then he just comes like bursting out of there on fire Uh and just like howling in pain yeah well he just seems so enraged and out of control a little bit well and And then he just takes down um what is netbers netbers yeah well so that description of runt is when you when you remember that he's essentially a horse man yes the description of his eyes rolling in his yes. head, and you can see the whites. It's exactly like a maddened horse. Yes. You know. I so, love that. Um, yeah, so my second favorite scene after that uh, is a little more lighthearted, and it's gotta be when Jansen is set up to feed <laughs> we Ketch. We talk about it. Oh, it's so funny. <laughs> where Wedge convinces Jansen through this elaborate hoax that he needs to strip naked and smear Ewok food on himself and then gets locked in a cafeteria with all the rest of the wraiths and, you know, <laughs> holding holding the, uh, the catch stuffed doll and then uh, uh, Wedge has a callback to when Jansen was making fun of Wedge um, in Iron Fist about, he's like, oh, you know... In, on some worlds it's a felony to perform a puppet show while flying a starfighter and then in this one wedge says you know it's on some words it's a felony to wear an ewok as a swimsuit and yeah (laughs) it's just so funny and then there's a callback to it later where shallow's like yeah we'd miss your nice butt you know so nice rear lieutenant (laughs) thank you lieutenant (laughs) um yeah and then the best scene in the book is what we talked about earlier, it's when Lara must flee from the Wraiths and, and just that entire sequence. The conversation with Face and with Donos and and Donos firing on her. Just brilliant writing. Okay, so I thought of a third favorite. And that's going to be the scene where the entire ship, except for those on duty, like has oh, a the mutiny. Oh, the mutiny, yeah. <laughs> Started started by Wedge. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, they were so down-spirited. Yeah. And he knew from the, the past two books. Yep. Gotta, gotta morale. Some, morale. <laughs> gotta fix that. And then they start playing poker, and it's it's Wedge and Han Solo and... What? The other uh, captain? Captain Onoma. Onoma. Yeah. I thought that was hilarious. Like, Face comes up to him with a report at one point, and he's like... I am I am not Wedge. I just look like Wedge. I just look like Wedge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have, what, a, a full 48 hours that nobody remembers. Yeah. Nobody has any idea what happened. Strange amnesia creeping through the crew, but it only strikes people <laughs> when they go off duty. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh, so okay. what were your other two favorites? Oh, shoot. No, that's hard. I mean, I love the scene with Piggy. Yeah. <laughs> How to dodge. Yeah. Very, very nice. Um, hmm. 
And I would assume the Lara scene is your first. Well, I'm thinking of which Lara scene. Hmm. I, you know, maybe I'll bring up another one. There's one where uh, she has left the bridge of the Iron Fist. And nobody's noticed, but she's in the middle of carrying out her plan to take it down. Mm -hmm. And she sends out her transmission. And of course they get it on the bridge and it's just her face. And her saying like, if all goes according to plan, their hyperdrive is is non-functional. And this is like the rest of my plan. And they realize and Zeej is just completely outraged. I, I love how that scene starts when, you know, they're it's like, Sir, transmission. He's like, you know, who who's it you know, who's it to? He's like, I, I don't know, it's from us. And Zeech just looks at Malbar and he goes, Oh, we are in trouble <laughs> <laughs> Where he immediately grasps the significance of it. Yeah. And 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 then I think when when he finishes watching the the recording from Lara and he, he turns back to Melvar and he says, I intend for her death to be so horrible it gives me nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so uh, just before we go into the final draft, I want to ask you, now that you've read the the three Wraith Squadron books, uh, the, the main sequence of the Wraith books, uh, what do you think overall of the squadron and, and the story here? I really like details on the squadron because we you know i grew up with the movies and we don't get any of that Mm -hmm. um i will say i told you earlier um han solo is not the same character he's not the same character that i grew up with in the books Mm -hmm. this is a different i mean i understand he's probably changed in the intervening time between the end of the last movie and where he's, you know, a general in these books. Yeah. But the humor isn't quite the same. Yeah, and I mean, they specifically call that out in the text here where Wedge has these moments with Han and, and he thinks about how much the pressure of leadership has weighed down on Han and how much older it makes him seem and, and he's so serious. But we do have those... those brief moments where the the Han from the movies kind of breaks through. Yeah, but it's not quite the same. Okay. Which which is kind of disappointing, but I don't know how you capture that character on screen exactly. Mhm. It's certainly not easy to do. Yeah. I mean I mean I really love getting to know more about the universe. Obviously, there's so many species and things that I have to ask you what it is because i have no idea unless it was in the movie like on on scene then you can reference me to that but otherwise i'm just like oh uh, yeah a bothin like i i remember them being referenced but i have no idea what their culture is like what they look like and it's been kind of fun to get to know that yeah you know like there's a talls mentioned mm-hmm. in this well in multiple books right because one of them's tortured and he just yep and they're supposed to be the most gentle creatures mm-hmm. just you know stuff like that i've really enjoyed getting to know more or the different ships i had no idea they don't explain that in the movies this is a tie defender this is a tie interceptor this is an x-wing you know this is a y-wing i had no idea I was just like, oh yeah, that's huh. the ship that so and so flies in. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm I'm enjoying it. Cool. Well, I think that is uh, about the time to take us into the final draft, uh, and I'll start this one off. Um, I am drinking a beer that you bought for me because I didn't have time. Uh, it, it is thematically appropriate. So this is uh, an unfiltered juicy IPA from Verboten Brewing Company in uh, uh, Loveland, Colorado, a town just south of us. And it is, uh, I mean, for a, a juicy, hazy IPA, it, it's about what you would expect. It's um, 
a lot of mango, a lot of pineapple, tropical fruit flavors. Um, I think it's probably citra hops. Uh, yeah, so it's citra, mosaic, and Eldorado hops. So all three of those usually pretty pretty juicy, tropical uh, flavors come out. Uh, it's, it's a pretty solid beer. Um, I'm not always the biggest IPA fan or hazy IPA fan, but I'm enjoying this. So uh, this is called Stealth Haze, which is very appropriate for, uh, uh, for the rates. And there's a spaceship on it, a hop spaceship. Yes, there's a hop with uh, uh, a rocket <laughs> on the bottom. <laughs> but yeah. So, so what are you drinking? Wait, wait, wait. I want to talk about Verboten. Okay. So they were one of the first German breweries that I was introduced to through my beer club. Hmm. And I think they were also the first ones to tell me what Reinheitsgebot was. Interesting. So it's the German purity law. It was from 1516 where the Germans decided that you can make beer with only these four ingredients. Mm -hmm. And you can't vary, and you can't add extra special stuff. You can't, like, make a chocolate stout or blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You, what, what was it? So, like, water, hops, barley, and yeast or something like yep. that? Yeah. Yep. Um, but, of course, within the confines of those four ingredients, there's almost endless you know as we've possibilities learned. and and we have tons <laughs> of different styles of traditional german beers using only those ingredients yeah uh, i find it interesting that you you call verboten a german brewery though because i've never understood them as a, ger- a german brewery well, like i've had so many i guess american I, style I think beers. of that because their name means forbidden mm-hmm. yeah. i just i just can't get it out of my head hmm. okay but so, yeah, yeah. What are you drinking? So, Drew, it's pretty great. All right. See if you can. So it's in Latin. Do you Lunctus know? viribus. Yep. So this well, is it's a viribus. A uh, uh, barrel aged sour ale, uh, aged in tequila barrels and cabernet sauvignon barrels. Okay. What does it mean? Do you I know would... from your roots? Oh. Um, I mean, is that moon? The loon in that? No. Wrong loon. Okay. Um, I, I don't. Viribus, I mean, I, I would recognize, like, maybe the root for viral, like, powerful, potent, but I don't know. Joined forces. Joined forces. Interesting. So force, yeah, that's the, okay. So I picked it. You know, obviously, because Imperial forces mm-hmm. and the rebels the, the collaboration. collaborate to take Seemed down. Okay. And well, I thought it was kind of fun. Talk to me about the beer, and I want to taste the beer. Okay. So it is... Oh, it's only 5.4%. That's interesting from Avery. Ooh. So Avery um, is, is a local brewery. Are they? Yeah, they're Boulder. technically in Boulder. Yeah. They're right on the edge. We call them local. They're originally from Boulder, Colorado. They're still in Boulder, Colorado, although they are technically no longer a microbrewery or a craft brewery because they're owned by Majo San Miguel, this huge yeah. liquor conglomerate from like Portugal, I think. Unfortunate. Yeah. I wish they'd remained independent. Independent, <laughs> but you know. They still make good beer. Of course they do. And they, so they have a series called the Demon Series, which is really high ABVs. Yeah. And, and they haven't done the Demon Series in a few years now. Um, but what? Avery is known for, um, uh, they're known for their high ABV, you know, strong ales, stouts, barley wines, quads. Um, they, yeah, they, they have some, some very powerful, very, very strong beers. Uh, a lot of them are over 15, 16, even 17%. Yep. Um, in um, fact, I believe I brought one on uh, from the Demon series uh, for the first half of Blade of Tai Shao. Oh, When we one? covered that, I brought on The Beast. Oh, okay. Yeah, which was like, I think that batch, uh, I think it was the 2017 Beast was like 16.8% or something like that. 
It was pretty ridiculous. Um, uh, but yeah, that that beer's really tasty though. There's a, a lot of tequila character comes out from that barrel. It is very bright. A little bit of lime I get out of that. Like, mmm. Mm. I like it. Very drinkable. It's uh, pretty darn tasty. So yeah, I think that brings us to the end of this episode, though. Uh, this has been episode 54 of the Inking Out Loud podcast. Next up, we will be covering all of Crossroads of Twilight, the 10th book of the Wheel of Time. And uh, we have actually already recorded that episode. And let me tell you, it is one of the best we've done. So you'll want to check that out. Uh, we have a couple of special guests on that one. Uh, including two brand new guests for the podcast. Uh, yeah, and if you want early access to that episode, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash inkingoutloud. Uh, you can, in addition to getting early access to our episodes, you can get access to monthly short fiction written by Rob or me. Um, you can get... Uh, yeah, access to our monthly short episodes covering general fantasy topics or short stories. Uh, we, yeah, we, we got a whole bunch of uh, fun benefits, so check us out there. As always, I am your host, Drew McCaffrey, and with me is my special guest, Lauren McCaffrey. Thanks, guys. And thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.